0: Great. Well, hopefully it's great, real pleasure to invite uh, Tony now to take over and hopefully he'll be able to talk us through um, how it is that we can do evangelism amongst the cults.
1: Well, good evening everyone. It's uh, fantastic to be here with you. It's a little bit surreal and a little bit weird to be just sat in one of my bedrooms um, talking to a screen, but I can see there's over a hundred people gathered tonight, which is fantastic. And um, I've got a, a PowerPoint presentation I'm going to use tonight, which I'll put on in, in a moment's time. But I wonder how you're coping in lockdown. One, one of the interesting things when we think about cults is that lockdown's really affected these guys. They, they're like the rest of us in church, um, are having to do everything online and on Zoom and stuff like that. And I'm, I, I can't tell you the, the amount of people that have sent me the same thing um, in all kinds of different ways. It was a message that said something along the lines of, if you get an email with the title, knock, knock, don't open it, because it's Jehovah's Witnesses working from home. And um, mm-hmm. I know you're all laughing there, because I can see you laughing, but I can't hear anybody laughing. <laughs> but, uh, oh, there you go. I've got somebody's laughing. But, um, yeah, the, these guys are still busy. They're still active, but, but doing things online. And I'll share a little bit more about that. Let me see if I can get this uh, PowerPoint up and running. Hopefully it will work. There you go. Hopefully you can all see my, uh, my screen now, my, my PowerPoint screen. So tonight I've been asked to speak on the subject of um, evangelism amongst the cults. And uh, I've put in the title there that the cults are the forgotten mission field. Um, there, are, there are lots of people that are forgotten that, that need to be uh, shared the gospel with. Uh, but but the cult's particularly a little bit of a a strange bunch because we tend to think, well, they've got their own beliefs and they're really hard work and um, they don't listen. And and whatever, whatever. or like Jonathan said, when we see them coming down the street or down our path, we think better find something else to do, hide behind the city or whatever it is. Um, but, But I want to encourage you tonight, as we think about this particular group, that these guys are lost people. And each Tuesday evening with the Association of Evangelists, we've been looking at evangelism to to different people and in different ways. And uh, tonight I want to talk about this particular group. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Tony Brown. I'm I'm blessed to live in Yorkshire, uh, which, of course, is the best place to live. And uh, I live in Bradford, which is not the best place to live in Yorkshire. But there you go. You can't have everything. And um, I'm an evangelist with the Association of Evangelists. And so along with the other guys, get involved in all kinds of evangelistic activity. But I have a particular interest in this uh, particular um, topic tonight. Because before I became a Christian, many years ago, I-, I spent some time with Jehovah's Witnesses. So I've always had a heart for these guys and a, and a desire to try and reach them. So that's what we're going to think about tonight. I-, I wonder what you feel um, or think when you hear the word cult um, and sharing the gospel with, with cults, do you feel anxious, nervous, think it's a waste of time, uh, maybe be fearful? Um, we may be tempted to sort of look at cultists as, as a category separate to everyone else. But in many ways, they're just the same as everyone else. They, they are people who in many ways have been searching for God. And uh, have been waylaid. They've been taken off somewhere else into a false gospel, and they're not unreachable. I, I know many, many people now who have come out of cults uh, and found Christ. So I want to encourage you with that right from the off this evening. In Colossians 4 and verses 5 and 6, uh, we're told there by the apostle Paul that we're to make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone so make the most of every opportunity when these cultists knock on our doors or we see them in the town centers or the train stations wherever they may be uh, we have an opportunity to share the gospel with them but it says here Paul says and it's really important for us to remember that we need to be full of grace um, they're lost Um, They they earnestly believe and sincerely believe everything they're saying and teaching. Um, But we need to be graceful, seasoned with salt. So we need to be winsome. We need to be smiling at them. We need to be friends with them so that you may know how to answer everyone. So it's no good just saying, I don't know how to talk to these people. Uh, I don't know how to defend my faith. Uh, We need to give an answer to everyone that that asks us for the hope that we have. 1 Peter 3.15 is a classic apologetic verse. So uh, let's be encouraged as we start tonight. We can all do this. That's what I want to encourage you with. Um, we shouldn't be shocked either that um, there are false groups around. You know the Bible is very clear about these things. One John two twenty six. Could have shared many many verses tonight. Says this: I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. And there are many 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 groups, many cults. Um, of all kinds of persuasions—religious, political, social, psychological—all kinds of groups that are deceiving people into something um, that's not the Lord Jesus Christ—and hence these people need salvation. They need Jesus. They need to hear the gospel. And so there are many who would be deceivers. And how do we reach these people is what we're going to think about this evening. What I want to do to begin with is to maybe give you a definition of a cult um, for the purposes of my talk this evening. There are tons of definitions um, when you think about cults. Uh, Some are so broad uh, that people might think we're in a cult as well. Um, But I want to give you a specific definition tonight, which fits in with what I want to talk about, because I'm talking to you tonight about cults as a Christian to a Christian audience. So when I talk about cults tonight, I'm thinking about cults of Christianity. So here's a definition for that, for what I'm going to talk about tonight. So it's a group, church or organization whose central teachings and or practices are claimed to be biblical or representative of biblical Christianity, but which are in fact unbiblical and not Christian in nature. So I, I want to talk about these, this particular sort of cultic group tonight, cults of Christianity. Those who say, well, we are Christians. Um, we're, we're just as Christian as you. We, we trust Jesus. We love God. And, uh, and they, they have maybe Christian in their title. They, they want to be seen as just another denomination, another church. And yet what they teach and what they practice is a million miles away from historic, orthodox, biblical Christianity. So we could talk about lots of things tonight, but this is my focus because I think this is the most helpful to us. And these are the people that we're going to come across uh, the most. So that's a cult of Christianity. Now, if we look at maybe a, a biblical definition of a cult, I think you can't find better than what the Apostle Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 4. He says, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, than the one we proclaimed or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted so paul's very clear here there are those who come and preach another or a different jesus um, there are those that come and preach a different spirit and there are those that come and offer a different gospel give a different gospel and these are the groups we're thinking about tonight, that what they actually believe when you unpack them, when you look into their teachings more closely, you find that they have another Jesus, a different spirit and a completely different gospel. And, and these groups are gaining converts like nobody's business all around the world. And um, they're a real challenge to us. You know, the, some people might argue that the reason these, these groups are so successful is because we're so bad at evangelism, at sharing the gospel. They find ways in to, to people's lives and situations where we don't. Uh, th- these guys are zealous for their falsehood. They, they don't let a little bit of bad weather stop them going out. Uh, these guys are on the doorsteps week in and week out. They're, they're in our town centers week in, week out. They're, they're very busy online trying to get people. And, of course, they present themselves as a Christian group. So it's greatly, greatly challenging to us when we think about this topic of the cults. But before we get into some sort of practical details tonight of, of how we might talk to them, what we might say to them, uh, there are some things I think it's really important for us to know and be aware of. So there are three things um, you need to know. And here's the first. It is really, really important to know what you believe, but not only to know what you believe, but why you believe it. That's really, really important. Because the reason some churchgoers have ended up in cults, and I know churchgoers that have, and maybe you do too, the reason they often end up in cults is because they've never really been grounded in truth. They've never really known who Jesus really was. They've never had the Trinity explained to them, the deity of Christ explained to them. The physical resurrection of Christ explained to them. They've never been told really the way of salvation and shown scripturally what it what it is. So we can believe all kinds of things, but we t- we need to know why we believe them. You remember that um, episode? I think it's in Acts 19 uh, with the seven sons of Skeva, um, where they're going around sort of trying to cast out demons, and they're casting out demons, and they'll say, "We're casting out demons." In the name of Jesus, that that Paul knows. Well, we can be a little bit like that with what we believe as well. We can say, well, I believe the Trinity is true because my pastor told me. uh, This guy, Tony Brown, told me it's true. So it must be true. But you've never really looked at it for yourself. And you've never really sort of thought about it and and looked at it biblically. And that's why I recommend if, if Trinity is a stumbling block, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment to you, then maybe get that book that Jonathan recommended. And, and really begin to look into it for yourself, because if we don't know what we believe and why we believe it, the, the cults will have a field day with us. And they will. They have their proof texts, which they will just bring out. They're, they're highly trained and they will machine gun you with these proof texts. And if you, you you're not solid in why you believe what you believe, they will persuade you otherwise. And that's what happens. So when we think of the Trinity, if I was to ask you, to explain the Trinity to me. I wonder what you might say. Um, a, A good thing to do sometimes with cultists when they say, well, we don't believe in the Trinity like you guys do, is to ask them to explain what the Trinity is. Because often in doing that, you'll find that they really don't know what the Trinity is either. So when they give you, rather than the biblical historical Trinity that we hold to, they give you some kind of modalistic sort of idea of Trinity that God is a, the father is what God is at one minute the father, then the next minute he's the son, and then the next minute he's the Holy Spirit or something like that. You can say, well, I don't believe in that trinity either and, and tell them what, what we believe it to be. So this is basically what the trinity is. And I know this might be like, you know, teaching you to suck eggs as it were. You maybe know a lot more about this, uh, but but I want you to know that this is a key issue when dealing with Christian cults. So we believe there is one God in three persons. I put a few Bible verses there. Uh, Some of you might be taking notes tonight. If you want this presentation afterwards, um, send us an email to the the Zoom address and I'll send this on to you so you get all the notes as well. But um, the Bible's very clear, there is only one God, but that one God has revealed himself in three persons. It is, as it were, we have one what and three who's. Uh, You and I are, we're, we're, we're one watt, we're a human being, and we're one person. I, I'm Tony. I, I'm one person, Tony, but I am a human being. My essence is human being. God's essence, he's God. It's God. but he reveals himself in three persons: Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And I find this diagram very, very helpful. You maybe come across this yourself very good in, in having this with you when you talk to some cultists, particularly Jehovah's Witnesses. Because you can show them again often that the verses that they're showing you to disprove the Trinity do nothing of the sort because it's the son maybe speaking to the father. So that's a good little illustration to show them that when they say, well, how can God speak to God? How can Jesus be God and yet pray to God? It's son speaking to father. And when we have the Trinity in mind, it helps us understand some of those scriptures. I know this is not easy to grasp. Um, But it's not about whether we can fully understand things. It's about whether it's true or not. Uh, So that's a good little diagram to have with you, I think, if you get on this subject with the the cultists. Not a good place to start with them, though, but many of them will want to take you there anyway. Um, So we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. A second thing is to make you aware of how the cultist sees the world. That's really important, again, because the The cultist is convinced that what they have and the group they belong to is the truth. They're convinced of that. So the the JWs, the Mormons, they believe with all their hearts um, that what they're teaching you and preaching is true. And so they're very sincere about that. But you see, they have a cult mindset. Um, Something the psychologists would call cognitive dissonance. You don't have to worry about all this stuff. But basically the idea of cognitive dissonance is this. That if someone is, is is suffering with cognitive dissonance, the idea is that it doesn't matter how much information you give them, how much truth you show them, how much you can prove them wrong, they're still not gonna get it. They're still not they're not gonna accept it, they're not gonna believe it, because they're sold on this idea that what they have is true. So you might think, well Tony, why are you bothering with tonight then? Because if that's the case there's nothing I can say will change their minds. But we have a weapon called the Holy Spirit who works through us and wants to work through us to break down these walls in their minds. They're, they're, they're spellbound as it were. Brainwashed is the old word we used to use. Psychologically coerced is maybe a little bit more correct. Um, they're bound by this stuff and they're convinced that their leaders or leader Speaking for God. And so anything you say, anything I say, what do we know? We don't understand the Bible. Only their leaders understand the Bible. And, and they've been um, told that we've nothing to offer them. And um, so so that's where they're coming from in their minds when uh, when we're talking to them. They're, they're seeing things in a particular way. But like I want to say, don't let that put you off because there are things we can say and do to help break through. That barrier. So that's the second thing. Uh, a third thing is this. Really, really important to define terms with these guys. See, if you were speaking to some Mormons, and maybe you have, many of you, they will say this. Well, we believe in God. Uh, we believe in Jesus. We believe in the Trinity. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. Uh, we believe we're saved by grace. And you can hear all those terms and you might think, well, they sound like a Christian to me. And that's exactly what they want you to think, because what they'll do is they will speak Christianese, but they interpret those words in Mormonese. Let me explain what I mean a little bit by that. They will use all the same terms and, and phrases that we use. So they sound very Christian, but they'll understand those things in a very different way. So you need to sometimes get them to define what they mean. So just to go through that list very quickly for Mormons. Uh, We believe in God. Well, they do believe in God, but they believe there are, there are many, many, many gods that you too can become God, that God was once a man like us and you can become a God um, and, and have your own planet in the future. You see, you don't get that from we believe in God. We believe in Jesus. Well, they do. But the Jesus they believe in is a separate God to Heavenly Father, who's the God over this planet. He's also the spirit brother of Lucifer. Uh, We believe in the Trinity. They may use that term. But what they really mean is there's three gods in the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost to a Mormon are three gods. But like I've already said, there 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 are millions of gods in Mormonism. We believe the Bible is the word of God. But the the 8th article of the Mormon faith says this, we believe the bible to be the word of god as far as it's translated correctly. But we believe the book of mormon to be the word of god. So the book of mormon is above the bible, but they don't tell you that. We believe we're saved by grace. Well, grace after all you can do. That's one of their verses in in the book of mormon 2 Nephi 25:23, we are saved by grace. After all we can do. So for a moment, grace only kicks in when they've done everything they can do. So you see there, just by looking at that very short list, these guys will say all those things and you think, man, they seem like Christians to me. But when you unpack it, when you define their terms, they're a million miles away from biblical Christianity. So that's really, really important with with cults of Christianity. Get them to define their terms because they'll speak Christianese. So here we go. So I want to be a bit more practical now. I've sort of told you about some of the things that you need to look out for. But let's be a little bit more practical and think about how we can engage some of these guys. Well, the first thing I want to say is this. There is no silver bullet. If you've tuned in tonight because you think this guy, Tony Brown from Bradford, will have the silver bullet, which means and he'll pass that on to me, which means the next time the Jehovah's Witnesses are on my doorstep, or the Mormons are in the town centre and I speak to them, Tony's going to tell me something that's going to make these guys fall on their knees and say, I want to come to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. It's not going to happen, friends. It may do, God can do whatever he wants to do, but I can't give you something tonight which I can say is foolproof and it will work. But what I can give you is, is, is tips, as is ideas, as questions of things you can go to that I found helpful and, uh, and believe that some of these things do work and people do get saved. What we want to do then, rather than the silver bullet, is we want to do what I call leaving them with a stone in their shoe. What do I mean by that? What I mean is this, that when you've engaged with a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or a Christadelphian or Christian scientist, wherever it might be, They're calling themselves Christian. You will have said something to them that's going to make them hobble away from you. You're not going to keep them in the shin to make that happen. That's not what I'm saying. You're going to say something to them that even though they don't show it on their face, even though they they look staunch in what they believe, they won't let it slip. You're going to say something that's going to trouble them. So when they walk away from you or you walk away from them, you have left a stone in their shoe. And then we can we can pray for them. So I want to think tonight about how we can put a stone in, in their shoe and, uh, and get them to think about things we've been saying. Really important as well, just something else before I jump straight into that. There are, what I found helpful in dealing with cults is this as well, that there are three principles of biblical interpretation which will help you when you look at the bible with cultists uh, the first principle is context the, the second principle is context and the third principle any guess anybody want to guess what it might be uh, well done if you said context the reality is that these guys lift bible verses out of their context and build doctrine upon verses parts of verses even and so Often when they stump us with a scripture, they'll they'll share something with us that seemingly, I don't know, for example, seems to deny the deity of Christ. We we could be taken a little bit aback and go on the back foot. But often if you just get them to read what they've shared with you in context, get them to read it, not you, even from their Bible, which if you're a JW will be a different Bible, adopted Bible, get them to read a bigger context in front of you. And while they're doing that, a few things happen. First of all, they get to see the context and God can work through that. The Holy Spirit can work through that. Second of all, while they're reading it, you're hearing the context and you are finding out an answer to what they've said, because often there'll be an answer in that context. So context, 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 really, really important. Let me give you an example of how this works with Jehovah's Witnesses. You see, tomorrow I I want you to pray for for a girl um I'm trying to remember what, what's her name? Let me just see if I can find this girl's name. um I had a pastor get in touch with me just the other day. And um he said to me, we've got a, 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 a woman now, a, a, not a very old woman, who used to go to our church. Her, her mum still comes to our church. And she's been meeting online with the Jehovah's Witnesses. And she got in touch with this pastor. And she started saying, well, look, you know, when I was at the church, I never really knew who Jesus was. Um, but these, these guys have told me and it all seems to make sense to me. So tomorrow afternoon um, at 1.30 with the pastor, she's agreed to meet with me on Zoom so we can look at some of these scriptures together. And I will find you her name at some point. So don't worry about it. And I'm, it's bad that I don't know it. But anyway, I'll find it for you. But here's an example of what would have happened with this girl if they're talking to her about Jesus. They would have said to her, well, look, let's look at what the Bible says. The Bible says of Jesus that he's the firstborn of all creation. Now, where where does it say that in the Bible? Um, you don't have to put your hands up because I can't see you anyway. But uh, this is where it says it in the Bible. Colossians 115. And the Jehovah's Witnesses will always go to that verse. Colossians 1.15, and they'll often just quote that little part of of Colossians 1.15. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now, what they've been told by that is that Jesus was the first one to be created by Jehovah. Now, that's not what that verse says. Even if you just take that little bit out of its context, and we'll look at the context in a moment, even if you look at just that, that doesn't say that Jesus was the first created. It says he was the firstborn of all creation. So we can look elsewhere in the Bible where the word firstborn is used. And I give you one example just on the screen here. In Psalm 89, 27, you see, because the word firstborn has two meanings. It can mean literally the first one to be born. Or it can mean the first one in rank or, or the preeminent one. So in Psalm 89, 27 here, speaking of David, it says, and I will make him, God says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So David is the preeminent one. He's the highest one. He's the first in rank of the kings of the earth. David wasn't the firstborn of his family. He was the youngest born. He wasn't the first king. Saul came before him. But God said, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. There are other places in scripture you can find that as well. Now, when you take that back to what it's saying here, you take the idea of firstborn, not to be the first one to be born, but the preeminent one or the first in rank over all creation. Now, the poor Jehovah's Witnesses don't get that because they only see that verse. In fact, if you just put a little bit of context and actually use the whole of Colossians 1:15, it says something quite telling. Speaking of Jesus, it says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. See, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the incarnate God. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And this is Paul knows this and he's speaking this. And he's the firstborn or the preeminent one over all creation, not the first created. It doesn't say that. And how do we know what Paul's talking about here? Because you look at the rest of the context. And what does it say? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn, the preeminent one from among the dead, then everything he might be preeminent for in him, all the fullness of God, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So you can see there how, if you just get that little bit of verse, it can, it can say whatever you want it to say, but you throw the context in, it tells you that Jesus is the preeminent one of all creation because he created everything. He, what, he wasn't creating himself. He created everything. And that's what John 1.3 says as well. Another good scripture to take them to. Now you need to bear in mind as I'm sharing this with you and go through this with them. Um, that They have their own Bible and they've changed it. They've added the word other in there five times. So wherever the word all the words, all things in the Greek panther appears, they've put all other things. They've added that in. But I can send you information to show them that they've done that as well. So don't be put off by that. Context, context, context with these cultists. will show you uh, and show them what the Bible really teaches. Now, what I want to do is I want to walk through uh, with you for this next sort of 20 minutes or so before I shut up and get some questions. Um, walk through a, a scenario, as it were. Um, so there's, there's a knock at the door and uh, you've seen that it's the, the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons walking down your path. And what you don't do is you don't send your little kid to the door to say, my mum and dad are not in. Um, you don't open the door and let the dog on them. You don't hide behind the settee. You are a Christian with an opportunity to share the gospel with a lost person. And the thought of that might fill you with dread. It is, it is hard work. I'm not denying that. I find it hard work. But there are things we can say that will make it a bit easier on us, and it will be incredibly helpful and fruitful for them. So that's what I want to for you to think about in these next few moments. So there's a knock at the door. You're going to answer the door, aren't you? I see you all nod your head. Yeah, well done. Thank you. First of all, you welcome them. You're not welcoming them um, as a a long lost sort of brother. They're not. They're they're not believers. Don't treat them as such. But you welcome them as someone who is knocking on your door um, with a message, I've told this story before, but there may be people online um, that have not heard this before, and it's funny, so I'll tell you it again anyway. And uh, I won't hear if you laugh, so that's okay. I'll think it's funny. But I remember hearing a guy um, once, uh, an ex-Jehovah's Witness, who had some Jehovah's Witnesses knocking his door, and uh, when he opened the door, he said to them, "Fantastic to see you guys! Amazing! I knew you were going to knock on my door tonight." They were a little bit taken taken aback. That and said, How could you possibly know that we were going to knock on your door? He said, Well, this morning I was reading the Bible, and they got really excited. And they said, Well, w- which part were you reading? Maybe you're reading matthew twenty four fourteen which says the good news will be preached in all the inhabited earth uh, for a witness before the end comes. was that what you're reading? He said, No, actually. I was uh, I was reading Matthew uh, fifteen, which says, watch out for false prophets who come to you. Matthew seven fifteen, watch out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Now, don't do that. Don't say that. But actually, we need to welcome them. Smile at them. Say it's good to see you. It's good, you know, to hear you know that you want to go around and share the, the, the Bible. I'm a Christian, you know, I believe in God, I read the Bible too. You begin to start to build a little bit of a bridge with them. And that's uh, what I want you to do, really, is build a bridge with them. Because they're not your enemy. What they believe and where they're coming from, what's behind them is the enemy, the real enemy, Satan, who's blinded the minds of unbelievers, who's bound them in this falsehood. But they're there as a lost person who needs to hear the gospel. So, again, say those things. I'm a Christian. I read the Bible. When they say the world a bad place, you say, yeah, but, you know, God's going to deal with it, isn't he? And they'll go, I'm into that. And you're beginning to build a little bit of a bridge with them. Then listen to them. But what I want you to do is I want you to say to them this. I want you to say, well, obviously, you've come knocking on my door today to share a message. I'm very happy to give you two or three minutes to share whatever you want to share as long as you're okay for me to just have two or three minutes with you afterwards, is that okay? And they'll invariably say, yes, that's absolutely fine. And then let them share what they've come to share. But what you're not going to do is respond to what they've shared. Whatever they talk about, they might talk about how bad the world is, you know, we're living in the last days, whatever it might be, if they JW is particular, uh, the Mormons might talk about all kinds of other things. Um, we're not going to respond to what they say because we're going to take control of the situation we need to direct the conversation with them. They're on our doorstep. We can do that. That's okay. And so we, we've got a plan. So when they finish speaking, even if they ask you a question, you can say, well, that's great. And I'll, I'll maybe come to that in a moment, but can I share something with you um, as we agreed? And then you take over. And the, the, very simple thing you can do is to share your testimony. You know, our testimonies are incredibly powerful. They're incredibly powerful to a cultist because we've got the very things that they're looking for, but they don't have. And they don't know how to get them. So whatever they're offering you is nothing compared to what you already have. So you're going to talk about when your sins were forgiven by Jesus. You're going to talk about an assurance of salvation. You're going to talk about a God who hears us and answers our prayers. You're going to talk about these things, and it's going to be so challenging to them. And what you might want to do at the end of your testimony is you might want to say to them, would you like to share your story now as well? And that will often stump them because they don't have stories like we have. They don't have testimonies like we have. For them, you know, they, they came into this stuff either through a, a book study or I met a couple of Mormon missionaries or brought up in a Mormon family or, or whatever it might be. But they don't have a testimony testimony like we have. So share your testimony. That's personal to you. And if that's all you can do, then that's great. Because that will put a stone in their shoe. It, it really, really will. You could also talk about, if not testimony, that answered prayer. If you've got an answer, to prayer that you can share with them, that's, again, amazing. Because they don't believe that God's really listening to us. Well, God's not talking to us, especially Jehovah's Witnesses. God doesn't do anything for us. We're of the devil. And so if we can talk about, well, let me tell you about this prayer um, that, that I, and I asked God this, and he answered in this amazing way. Let me tell you what happened. And then at the end of that, again, you turn it on them and say, tell me about a time when God's answered your prayer. Because, again, they don't really have that kind of relationship with God. They know about him, but they don't know him. For them, God is a distant being who may at any moment be upset with them or pleased with them, depending on their activity. So share testimony, share answered prayer. You can also ask questions. Ask questions. I want to give you some examples of questions you can ask. I wanted it to be a little bit practical this evening. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to ask the right questions. There is nothing wrong with asking any questions um, to these guys. These guys are programmed to answer questions. They love it when they're the teacher and you're the student. So you can ask them about anything, even things you know. I, I, I sometimes, if I'm meeting some Jehovah's Witnesses who, don't, who I don't know for the first time or Mormons, I'll maybe ask them questions about what they believe, even though I believe I know the answer. And and that's okay, because you're building bridges, and that's what you want to do. But there are certain questions you could ask, which puts a stone in their shoe. You notice I've got a little picture at the top there of a a guy boxing, and it looks like a Bible boxing back. And what I want us to do with these next few questions, these first few questions here are particular to Jehovah's Witnesses and you can use them for other groups as well, but particular to Jehovah's Witnesses, is you're going to put them in a situation where they're not fighting with you and they're not disagreeing with you, but they're disagreeing with the Bible. And that will put a stone in their shoe. So let me give you an example of what I mean. You can ask a Jehovah's Witness, have you been born again? 99.9% of Jehovah's Witnesses will say they've not been born again. They've been told that only the 144,000 who are going to be in heaven and uh, uh, in the future, they are the only ones that need to be born again. So the the rank and file, the vast majority of Jehovah's Witnesses don't need to be born again. So tease out of them, get them to say that. There's something else I want to say here, which I should have said said earlier, really, as well. There's a value in, in knowing something about these groups as well. Um, you can get really, really good books, helpful books um, about this. Um, There's a value in knowing something about what these guys believe as well. It's more important to know what you believe and why. There's a a value in knowing some of their stuff, but I can send you information. So have you been born again? They'll say no. Then ask them to turn in their own Bibles to these two verses. Now, John 3 and verse 3 there. We've got Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. And this is what he says in the New World Translation, which is their Bible. Jesus says, unless anyone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Anyone. And you really need to push that, that, that point. The Bible says anyone. It doesn't say unless 144,000 are born again. Jesus doesn't say that. That's what they've done is they've taken verses elsewhere like Revelation 7 and 14 and imposed it upon that verse there. And he doesn't say that. So unless anyone is born again. And then if you take them to one John five, verse one, and again, you might ask him a question before you show them that verse. You might say, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? And they'll say, yes, of course we do. Well, one John five, verse one says everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So have you been born again? And they will say no. And you see what you're doing here is, you're, you're, you're putting them in a place where they're disagreeing with the Bible. I wasn't going to share this at this point. I was going to share it earlier when I talked about cognitive dissonance, but it's really sad how it works. If you want to see this work in a Jehovah's Witness, this is, this is a way you can make it work. See, the Jehovah's Witnesses, Believe there's only 144,000 in heaven, and a great crowd will remain on what they call Paradise Earth. So the great, when he mentions the great crowd in, in Revelation 7, they say that's a great crowd who are going to live on the earth. Now, if you ask them to turn to Revelation 19 and verse 1 in their Bible, it says in the New World Translation, "Then I heard the sound of a great crowd in heaven." So you say to them, where is the great crowd? And they'll say, on the earth. And you say, oh, sorry, I must have misheard what you said. Can you can you read Revelation 19 and verse 1 again? And have them read it again. I heard the sound of a great crowd in heaven. Where does the Bible say the great crowd is? They'll say, on the earth. And you'll see then that they've got this cognitive dissonance. Even though the Bible contradicts what they've been told what they've been told is stronger than what the Bible teaches. So there's question one. Have you been born again? I need to move on. Um, second question you could ask a Jehovah's Witness. Where will Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob spend eternity? Now, they believe that all those who died before uh, Christ's death, on the not on a cross, of course, for Jehovah's Witnesses, an upright pole called a torture stake, but, but regardless of that, before Jesus died, all those who died before him only have a, an earthly hope. They're not going to be in heaven. So ask them the question. They'll say, on the earth. Get them to read Matthew 8 and verse 11 in the New World Translation. And it says, Jesus saying this, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So, again, they're giving you the answer. And then the Bible says the opposite of what they believe, and so you're putting a stone in their shoe. Let me quickly go through through a few more, just a couple more. You could ask this question: Did any of Jesus' disciples believe he was God? They will say clearly, no. They, they don't believe Jesus was God. And yeah, if you have them turn in their Bible to John 20:28, 20, Jesus appears to Thomas, and what's Thomas's reaction to Jesus' appearance? He says, my Lord and my God. Big G in the New World Translation. That means the God. That means Jehovah in the mind of a Jehovah's Witness. You see, what you're doing as well is, is you're showing them some of these verses. You're showing them things. You're showing them verses they're not really familiar with. This is another mistake we can make with cultists, particularly the Jehovah's Witnesses. We think that they know their Bible so well and they know it all too well and I'll never be able to match them. And there are lots of places they never really spend any time in. And Some of these verses are verses they'll never really have had to consider. So you're putting that stone in the shoe. Last one. Did Jesus die for your sin? I I had a recent discussion with a a Jehovah's Witness guy called Daniel who works at the Jehovah's Witness headquarters. He's there right now. Um, I had a long phone call with him. Uh, it's a couple of weeks ago and i asked him this question did jesus die for your sin and he said no you see because what they've been taught is that jesus just died for the sin of adam you have to pay for your own sin and that's why they're working their socks off and striving they've got to pay for their salvation so you take them to a verse like 1 peter 224 which says about Jesus, it says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He himself bore our sins. Not just Adam's sin, my sin. Did Jesus die for your sin? Ask them that question. And what I can guarantee this. They might not show much on their face always. They might start to sweat a little bit as you show them some of these things. They might want to run away, suddenly look at their watch and say, I've got another appointment. I need to go. But you are putting a stone in their shoe. And that's what we've got to do. Let me show you very quickly um, a, a, a routine you can go through with uh, with the Mormon missionaries. You see uh, the picture at the top there is changed. So not only boxing with the Bible, but boxing with the Book of Mormon as well. So um, you're putting them in conflict with both of these things here. You could ask the Mormon, do you agree with Moroni 8.18, which obviously is a a book in the Book of Mormon and a chapter and a verse. They will say yes. When they say yes, have them read it to you. This is what it says in Moroni 8.18 in the Book of Mormon. God is not a partial God, neither a changeable being, but he is unchangeable from all eternity to all eternity. You can then say this verse. I agree with this verse as well. You can say that to them. And it sounds very much like a verse in the Bible. And the verse in the Bible, it sounds like is Psalm 90 and verse two and have them read that verse to you as well. Now, um, they will read it to you in the King James Version. It's another little handy little tip for you to know that it's good to Use the King James with the Mormons, because that's what they're familiar with. That's the the, the translation they use. But they will read this in Psalm 90, verse 2. It says, "Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God." Do you agree with that verse as well, Mormon missionaries? And they'll say, "Of course we do." I'll say, "Good," because Those two verses seem to be saying something very similar. Can you tell me what it is that they they seem to be saying? And what does it say? If they don't answer, you give them the answer. That God is not a changeable being. He's unchangeable. He's always being God from everlasting to everlasting. He's always being God. Do do you agree that's what it's saying? And they will say yes. And you'll go, oh, praise God, we found a verse in the Book of Mormon and a verse in the Bible that, that say the same thing. But let me ask you something else. Have you heard of the King Follett sermon preached by the Prophet Joseph Smith? Now, what they'll say at this point is some will say yes, some will say no, and some will not want to say yes, but they will have heard of it. It's a famous sermon uh, within Mormon circles. And Joseph Smith brought out an interesting doctrine in the King Follett sermon. King Follett, he was an elder. Elder King Follett, was preaching at his funeral sermon. And uh, this is what Joseph Smith said. God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. It is necessary that we should understand the character and being of God and how he came to be so. For I'm going to tell you how God came to be God. We have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute the idea and take away the veil uh, so that you may see. So what what you've got here is you've got Joseph Smith actually conflicting with what the Bible says and the Book of Mormon says. And you've put them in a difficult situation, you put a stone in their shoe. And you're gonna say to them, Well, which do you who do you agree with? Do you agree with the Book of Mormon and the Bible, which says God has always been God? Or do you agree with Joseph Smith, who says he hasn't always been God? Which do you agree with? And that's a stone in their shoe. And there are lots of other things like that I can send you, uh, little routines you can go through with. Again, I, I don't sort of want to use these routines as a way of, you know, like seeing that these guys as a target to be hit. But you want to use something that's going to wake them up so that they might come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's get back to this then. So questions, ask questions. Come in here to the end of of my talk so you want to leave a stone in their shoe and hopefully some of these things will help you to do that if you decide to meet with them again, um, I want to suggest a couple of things to you, they've knocked on your door you've had a chat with them in the town centre or talked to them online, you want them to come round if you're going to let them in your house you need to be really careful you don't want to have anybody with you who's weak in the faith, struggling in the faith, young in the faith Um, These guys uh, are wolves in sheep's clothing. They're very nice, very sincere, very friendly, but the enemy's behind them. So often I would suggest meeting a neutral place. Ah, I love meeting in coffee shops. Uh, If you know me, um, it's usually Costa Coffee, which we can't meet there right now. Uh, But I'm looking forward to the day when Costa is open again and I can go there again. But meet them maybe in a neutral place. Uh, There are some Christians who would say we shouldn't have them in the house. We shouldn't even talk to them. Um, They'll go to 2 John 10 in the Bible. Um, I don't really want to address that right now, but it's it's not saying that we shouldn't talk to Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons particularly. I don't believe that at all. Uh, These people are lost people and we need to engage them. So meeting them again, if they're willing to meet again, uh, pray with them or for them. Now, usually Jehovah's Witnesses will not let you pray with them. Um, I have had one Jehovah's Witness let me pray with him. I don't think his friend was very happy, but I prayed with him anyway in the street. Um, but pray with them if they'll let you pray with them and uh, be very, very direct. Again, what I try and do is um, use some of the terms that's helpful to them. So when I talk about God with Mormons, I talk about Heavenly Father because they're familiar with that term. Uh, I might even use the name Jehovah when talking to Jehovah's Witnesses because that, again, Built a bridge, helps them somewhat, um, but you definitely want to pray for them. And that's why this next thing is really important, where you can get their name and their number. Get their names and get their mobile number if you can or an email address or something. Uh, some Mormon elders are happy to give you their first names. They like to be called Elder Elder Berry and stuff like that. I'd rather tell you their first name, but try and get their names where you can. Uh, get their number. You can keep in contact with them then. Uh, The reason I'm still speaking to this guy, Daniel, um, who's at the Jehovah's Witness headquarters at the moment, is because I got his mobile number. And every now and then I would send him a message. He didn't respond. But a few weeks ago, he bit. And he's got my number. If the the stones I'm trying to place in his shoe become a rock and he's got questions, he's got my number to call me. So get their number and and you can contact them. They get your number. Another little tip for you as well. Just thought about this with the with the Mormons. Um, the Mormon missionaries, the mobile that they get when they they're on mission, the mobile stays in the locality. So once you've got their number, you've got access to Mormon missionaries forever. Because you once you've once you've spoken to one missionary, when they've moved off, the the, the number goes to the next set of missionaries. And if they've kept your number, these Mormon missionaries will call you for a meeting. I've had that several times. So get their names and their numbers and then pray for them. Have people pray for them, intentionally pray for them. Have people in your church pray for them. Let's pray them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's part of my testimony. The whole church was praying for me before I became a Christian. So, again, try and keep contacts with them. You, you don't want to pester them. You get a lot more leeway with the Mormons than you do the JWs. Um, but but try and keep contact with them an appropriate message bible verse every now and then is helpful and here's a final thing something i want to leave with you uh, which is really important for us to remember it's the holy spirit's job to convict and it's our job to share and that takes all the pressure off us then doesn't it it's the same in any evangelistic um, endeavor we need to be faithful to share in the gospel and as we faithfully share, the Holy Spirit does His work to lead people to Christ. And so, you might talk to these guys and think, I got absolutely nowhere, they hammered me, they know the Bible better than I do, whatever it is. But it's not for us to worry about that. It's for us to pray for them. And pray, Father, this stone that I've placed in their shoe may it become a rock that's so bad that they're, they're, they're crippled by it and they're going to want to know more about you. Holy spirit, open their eyes, open their heart, wake them up to the truth of who Jesus is. I'm sure there are lots of things I could have shared tonight, which, which I haven't. Maybe there are things you wish I would have shared and I didn't, but hopefully you found some of that useful. Can I just say one final thing before we, we go to any questions? You'll see at the bottom of my slide there, it says reach out, trust, uh, building a bridge of reason and um, so i was i had my own little ministry called cults investigated I, i'm i'm pretty much trying to wind that up now and i have joined uh, forces with reach out trust which is an established ministry in the uk um to uh new religious movements so um I, i've got all sort of pally with michael thomas there and we're going to be working together and putting things on that website so please go to reach out trust lots of resources already there sign up for the newsletter And uh, thank you so much for being with us tonight.
0: Well, thanks very much, Tony. That was really uh, that was really good. It's uh, given me a bit more courage to uh, face them on the doorstep and um, uh, when they next come. I'm going to in a few moments, we'll um, ask Janice to feed some questions over to um, to Tony. And in fact, we'll go straight over to Janice now and she can start uh, that process so that we can have as much time for questions as we can. Thank you
2: very much, Tony. Um, Can you comment on the uh, increased visibility of Jehovah's Witness stands in many towns? Is this an indication that the cult is growing?
1: Uh, No, I don't really think that they're they're growing necessarily. They're they're, they're having a bit of a wobble like I think um, Christians are as well. You know, it's become increasingly secular. Mm. But what they've they've done is they've, they've moved a lot of their activity from the doors to the carts And if if you're a Jehovah's Witness, this is brilliant because standing at a car and often a million miles away from the car having a coffee uh, and not engaging anyone is a lot easier than going on the doorstep. So their their methodology really is to point people to their website. So it'll always say jw.org on their stand. They've got badges, T-shirts. It's on their kingdom halls. And they're trying to get people to their website to get resources. And they've got online teaching now um, in lockdown and stuff like that. So, yeah, they're, they're, they want to be a lot more visible. They are a lot more visible, uh, which is good, because we know where they are and we can go and talk to them.
2: When JWs are converted, do they point to anything in particular that convinced them?
1: No, you see, I think like all cults, um, the Jehovah's Witnesses, you're recruited into a cult. No, no one joins a cult. Um, I'm, I'm pretty convinced of that. No one wakes up and thinks, I'll go and join the Jehovah's Witnesses today. It starts with a, with a curious person, with, with, with a needy person often, not always. Lots of people, very intelligent people, all kinds of people end up in cults. But often, you know, they meet a need somewhat and it's usually just friendly. And then you start a Bible study with them and it's not a Bible study, it's a Watchtower book study And as you go through the Watchtower book with them, you're indoctrinated in Watchtower doctrine. If you come from a position like I did of having no Christianity in my background, so the Bible was completely blank book to me from the off, then they're showing me things in the Bible and I just believe it. And so you begin to see the Bible through Watchtower glasses and you become indoctrinated by it and start to think like them. And and very quickly, within a few weeks, you start to think, like Jehovah's Witnesses. So there's no conversion, it's, it's indoctrination.
2: And when they're converted to Christianity, is there
1: anything in particular that... Um... Sorry, did I misunderstand that question?
2: No, that was a All good right. answer to a different question, but when they're <laughs> converted to Christianity, is there anything in particular that, um, that strikes them as being yeah, this is genuine, this is true?
1: Um, again, I'm a little bit sort of vague on, on what's been asked there, but I mean, it often starts with people who end up in Christi- end up out of the cult to begin with, is a stone in the shoe type moment. Um, many people come out of groups like Jehovah's Witness and Mormons, and end up in atheism, sadly. And this is where you know my heart is really that we can be there for them and say, look, you can continue um, uh, to search for Christ. There is a the Bible's true um, in spite of your experiences. And what they, they often find in Christians, I've heard this, is that they see something different in Christians. Now, it's the Jehovah's Witnesses that often try and point to themselves as being different. Well, look, we're all united. We don't go to war, you know, and that, and that. But actually, I think when they meet a genuine Christian who's loving and winsome and concerned for them, um, it does challenge them, and the Holy Spirit seems to work through that. So, so I, I would encourage you, you know, often it's, it's not the theology that, that wins them. It's the Christian and the love that they're showing to these people that, they can win them over.
2: Is it similarly for Mormons?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Again, you know, Mormons, um, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are completely different sort of kettle of fish. Um, but again, you know, they, they're both coming out of a, a works-based salvation. So to, to find grace, and what that really means, to find that they can be forgiven, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Christ has done is, is massive to them. So that's why it's important for us in testimony to really push that with them.
2: You're obviously constantly studying erroneous teaching. How do you keep yourself from being poisoned by it?
1: <laughs> I don't. It's been far too with Roger Castle for the start. I mean, that's, that's really messed up my theology. <laughs> but um, I'm only joking. Uh, it, it is, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a real issue. And, and I can spend too long looking not only at this stuff, but, but some dodgy stuff that's going on in the church. So I, I need to try, and I do try, to try and be a bit more balanced in, in what I'm reading, what I'm watching. Um, I'm engaged in, a, in, in my own church, in a growth group usually on a Tuesday evening, uh, on a Sunday, I'm getting teaching there and listening to, to good sermons. So it's, yeah, you, you, you do have to be careful.
2: Any tips on how to remember all of these questions that you've just given us and the references when you're surprised by visitors at the door? Because you probably don't have your notes on you at the time. But you could
1: have a very good book. Very. Close. Really, you could have a really good book on you. Um, no, I, I think that, that there are certain go-to verses and things that, that are quite easy to learn. Um, if you're constantly talking to these guys, because, they're, you know, it's the same verses that you will use. So, you know, like I say, I'm happy to send a sheet out to anybody um, with, with some of these verses on and just try and get them into your head, I think, really. Um, but once you've used them a few times, you know where you're going. You can highlight them in your Bible. If you, you know, if, if you think that's the way to going, Flick through your Bible, you'll see something color coded and you think that's the verse on this or that's the verse on that. Uh, but it's like all scripture memorization. I, I don't remember lots of them. There's loads of places I, I forget and struggle and think, oh, what was that verse? Uh, but there are some that I always go to. So, we just gotta learn them. Right,
2: a few questions on other cults now. Are Seventh-day Adventists a cult?
1: I knew that question was gonna come tonight. It always comes. Uh, yes and no. Is that, is that, is that okay to just leave it there? <laughs> That's what um, you want. No, it's, um I would say that there are cultic um, elements to Seventh-day Adventism. The Seventh-day Adventists came out of 19th century sort of America, like a lot of these groups did. Uh, the Mormons, the JWs, the Christian scientists, the Christadelphians, all, all these groups, Seventh-day Adventists come out of that. Okay. And there are some people within the group who I would say are born again, truly Christian people who preach the real gospel and have a love for Jesus. But there are some within the group. It's a, it's a bit of a broad church It will still follow the teachings of, of like Ellen G. White, uh, for example, the prophetess, and uh, and hold on to um, some of her teachings. And um, you know, another stuff uh, insistent on on sort of worshiping on the Saturday. And the official teaching of Seventh Day Adventist Church still, I believe, is if you worship on a Sunday, that's the mark of the beast. They have dietary laws. Um, They believe Jesus is the Archangel Michael. So there there are elements within, people within, who still believe some of that stuff. So that's why I think you will find Seventh-day Adventists in some cult literature and say they're a cult. And in others, you wouldn't, because it's a little bit up and down. But would I recommend them as a church to go to? No, probably not.
2: Two last questions. Um, do you find, as one of our questioners does, that the JWs actually don't want to talk to you at their
1: stands? Yeah, but you've gotta make them. You force <laughs> them. Um yeah, it's it's true. I think again, um, you know, it's it's our approach sometimes. I, I've got it wrong as well. I have definitely approached them and they don't want to talk. Um but I think again if you do it in a winsome way, in a questioning way. In a, a, you know, with a, with a smile on your face, I think they will engage. And so I think it's, it's a bit trial and error. And some Jehovah's Witnesses are are a bit like Christians. Some are more miserable than others. Um, you know, so they, they don't, um, they might not want to, it might be having a bad day. I don't know. But, but I think often I, I find that the majority do. If, if you just approach them in a good way, in a right way, in a winsome way smile again just a question can i just ask you a question about something what do you believe about this you know how are things for you in we well, can ask them in lockdown at the moment because they'll be locked down but you know what i mean it's just something relevant yeah, yeah. we've got um, three minutes
2: before we break out into prayer groups and uh, could you just briefly share your testimony with us
1: please oh three minute testimony here goes okay very briefly Thank you, uh, not brought up in a christian home my mum died when I was 21, so just two years ago now. And um, then I began to search for meaning and purpose. Um, couldn't find answers in, in anything. My sister invited some Jehovah's Witnesses round for me. I went around. They answered all my questions. I began a book study with them, which, again, I, I told you this. It's a Bible study, but it's a book study. Um, I quickly began to sort of think like a Jehovah's Witness and believe what I was being taught. I believe that's what the Bible taught. And so I, I ended up, I wanted to look like them. I went to the kingdom hall and, uh, couldn't go in jeans and t-shirt there. You stand out like a sore thumb. So I bought the suit. I bought the briefcase. Went out knocking on doors with them. Honestly thought I'd found truth. Fell out with all my family, fell out with my, my long-term girlfriend at the time. Um, just found this is it for me. And, um, continued for about three and a half years um, just studying through their books and their literature it's all the same stuff all the time that's why they're so good at this stuff because they train that all their books are set up the same way question and answer question and answer and um, three and a half years in I began a new job met a guy who was a Christian called David challenged him on the Trinity I had all my proof texts ready to disprove that Jesus was God he struggled to answer but he was a really nice guy. He, he was really friendly towards me, uh, very loving towards me. And I knew that I could see that. I used to, I remember saying to the other Jehovah's Witnesses, he's a really lovely guy, but he needs to become one of us. And um, he tried to get me to church. I was never going to go to church. He invited me to his house to meet his wife. I met his family, some of the Christians there, um, which he didn't tell me were going to be there, which was a bit naughty of him. Um, but anyway, cut cool, long story short. There was something, and I, I wish I could remember what it was now, because it is a long time ago now. Um, I'd heard something at the Kingdom Hall on Sunday, and I asked David on the Monday what his view of of it was. And he he shared something and showed me something in the Bible, and it seemed to make more sense to me than what I'd been taught. And that was the first little that was the first little stone in the shoe. That was a little chink of light, and from there I began to listen a little bit more. And I didn't realise at the time, but the Holy Spirit was waking me up. And it all culminated a few months after me going to Bradford University to a Christian meeting. I thought it was safe going to the uni. I wouldn't go to the, still wouldn't go to the church. And I heard uh, the gospel preached for the first time. And um, some people prayed with me uh, there, but I was very confused, mixed up, came home, very confused, got dropped off near home, crying out to Jehovah, I still call him Jehovah, show me what's true. Please show me what's true. Woke up the next day, a uh, changed person. Uh, Um, I I just felt at peace and and something had happened like the chains had fallen away like the Wesley hymn says and uh, I ended up going to the church building, a bit of fear and trepidation still the next day to the church service to find that all that church had been praying for me for months and months and months and they were just waiting for me to come through the door, they knew my name and, and everything and that was my way out so praise God for David
2: Thank you Tony, Carl?
0: Great. Well, we're, well. I'll round off in prayer now. And uh, and then if you want to stay and uh, we'll break into small groups of prayer, then please do for just five or ten minutes after that. But I'll pray now and then people can leave if they wish to leave. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gospel. And we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be um, afraid of our destiny. Uh, we know that we will be with you forever. And Lord, we don't have to work for that. Um, we cannot earn it. Lord, we thank you for grace and for your love to us. We thank you that you search for us. And we pray, Lord, that you'll give us a a greater love and burden for people who've been trapped in false teaching. And uh, that we'll really um, seek, as Tony said, to put a stone in their shoe that might bring them back to you. And, uh, Lord, we pray you will uh, help us to remember these things uh, at the right time uh, and not to be afraid now to witness Mm -hmm. to them. Lord keep us safe and help us to uh, to serve you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.